After the Spirit of God came down upon them, Peter begins to preach the gospel. The church began to be on mission. And so we need to understand that the moment that we are called out of darkness, some of you have been walking with Jesus for three years, three months, five years, five, you know, 15 years, who knows how long you've been walking with him, and you are yet to get on mission. You're waiting for more knowledge. You're waiting for more experience. You're waiting for, listen, we need to not wait any longer, but we need to engage in the mission that God has called us on. We need to engage in the mission that God has created us or or recreated us into new people in Christ in order for us to go out there and be those missionaries. We don't have to wait three years like, you know, the apostles did. We don't have to wait until some supernatural experience. We need to be like Nike and just do it. We just need to do it. He called us out of darkness. When you read this story, I encourage you, this story is pre-upper room. This story is pre-baptism of the Holy Spirit. This story is pre-any of that. And you know what the Bible shows us? The Bible shows us that Jesus has a conversation with a woman. And when you read the scripture, if you just read earlier on in chapter 4, just read it through. And I promise you, it will take you less than five minutes to read the entire conversation that Jesus had with this woman. And you want to know what she did immediately after she walked away from Jesus? She got on mission. As soon as, and you know what? It wasn't just any old mission. She turned her whole city upside down. And <laughs> Glory to God. And she didn't know everything. She didn't have every answer. All she knew was, this guy told me everything about myself. Could he be the Messiah? That is all she said. And the Bible says these people believe because of her testimony, because her life was transformed. And us, now, we are post-upper room. We are people who have access to the fullness of the Spirit of God. And so when we look at our lives, we are born again. The Bible says that we are baptized into one body. How are we baptized? By the Spirit of God coming to dwell within us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Having a clear understanding of how we are sent as a church should awaken a vision for mission within our hearts, which is what I'll be speaking about today. A vision for mission. The first thing that we'll read, let's let's read together in verse 31. He said, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Say this with me. Jesus showed his disciples The true meaning of soul food. Now listen, I I, I know you thought soul food was like started in like the 60s or 70s when they were talking about soul sister, soul brother, and all that stuff was going on. But I want to let you know, Jesus talked about soul food way before anybody else brought that in. And he was talking about what real soul food is. He said to them, he spoke to them, and he told, he told his disciples, he said, I have a food. Now, you got to remember this story. The Bible says that they walked and they came to this place, Samaria. The scripture says Jesus is wearied from the journey, and then after he's, you know, he's wearied from this journey, and he gets there, so he sits down by this well. The disciples go to get food. They go to get stuff, and he's sitting there, has this conversation with, this, with, with, with the Samaritan woman, and he asks her for something to drink, which, by the way, I just want to point out, she never gave him a drink. Hello. 
Jesus asked her for the drink. She never gave him the drink. She walked away, left her water pot there. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that Jesus was there. He was thirsty. He was weary. And when he began to engage in his mission, he forgot he was thirsty. When he began to engage in his mission, he forgot he was hungry. When he began to engage in his mission, he forgot he was weary. Can I encourage you? The moment that you and I begin to engage in mission, we forget we're weary. We forget we're thirsty. We forget we're hungry. We forget we're depressed. We forget about what we don't have. We forget about who's not liking us. We forget about all of those other things that are going on in the natural realm because we are engaging in the mission which God has called us to therefore what happens to us something begins to awaken inside of us the issue with us is that we wait for everything around us to be perfect before we engage in mission we wait for everyone around us to like us and for us to be cool before we engage in mission we wait for every single one of our appetites to be satisfied before we engage in mission we need a vision for mission church and Jesus speaks to his disciples about this soul food he tells them he spoke to his disciples about this food that they didn't know about that's our issue as many of us just don't know about it we many of us have never led someone to Jesus let me explain something to you let me let me give you a, a, an example you know how you enter into worship I don't know what you felt I had my eyes closed I was in my own place with Jesus today so I wasn't looking at you I don't know if you were looking at me or if you really engaged in worship but if you were really engaged in worship you felt the spirit of God right isn't that the amazing, an amazing feeling, right? Can I tell you something? Sharing the gospel with someone brings that same amazing feeling. Even when they reject you in the message. Wait, but Bishop, that, that hurts. Of course it does. But you know what? Even though you got rejected, when you walk away, something happens inside of you. Because what? Because you are engaged in mission and you are doing what God has called you to do. Share him with others. You know what the problem with us is? Is that we want the easy route. So you know what I'll do? I'll lift up my hands. I'll pray. I'll do all of that, but I'm never going to go out there on mission. I get my satisfaction. I get my soul fixed. Say, I get my soul fixed. That's what you do. You get your fix. Here's the thing. When you have vision, vision drives us. It directs us. It even deters and distracts us from the natural things of this world. Like I said, he asked a woman for water. She didn't give him water. She, she never gave him the water to drink. The disciples come to him. They are urging him, Jesus, eat. Rabbi, eat. We brought you food. And he tells them, listen, I, I don't want to eat right now. Because you know what happened? He preached the gospel. And when he, or when he ministered to this woman, ministered to her life, you know what she did? She went and evangelized and spoke to her city. And guess what was happening? Her city was on their way to hear from Jesus. You know what he was saying? He's saying, man, listen, right now I ain't got time to eat because I can't have stuff in my mouth when I'm trying to preach to these people. Right now I don't have time to eat because I need to be able and, and, and available to minister the life of the gospel unto the people that are coming my way. Does that mean that we stop eating? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we stop engaging in natural things? Absolutely not. Does that mean that we forget about all of our problems and all of our issues? Absolutely not. But we don't let those things govern us. We don't let those things hinder us from being on mission with Jesus. Sadly, the issue is this. Many Christians either have an incorrect vision or they have an indifferent vision. And so the point is I talked about soul food. So here's the question. Do we all feed our souls? Say yes. Every one of us that is sitting in this place feeds our soul whether you believe it or not. 
Listen, I'm going to say this like this. You may not read your Bible. You may not pray. Maybe the only time that you open the Bible is when you come to church. Maybe the only time that you pray is when you bow your head with us here. Maybe the only time that you worship God is when you worship in this place. And can I tell you something? You are still feeding your soul. Everybody on planet Earth feeds their soul because our soul has urgings, has hungers, has desires. And so we know our soul is what? Is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so what happens to us is that some of us, we feed our soul through our mental capacity. And what we do is we feed our soul by gaining knowledge about stuff. It can be knowledge about the Bible. It can be knowledge about all kinds of stuff. We're the kind of folk, when you're that type of person that you just love to feed your mind, man, you love the History Channel, you love Discovery Channel, you just get all kind of knowledge just, just bubbling up. Hello. Is there something wrong with History Channel? I didn't say that. I'm making a point. When you're that kind of person, you're, you're an intellectual type person. And so you want to feed your intellect. You like to read books. I wasn't like that until I came to Jesus. I'm dead serious. I hated to read. And sometimes even now, I'd be like, man, I don't want to read. Glory to God. Like, I have to read. I can't be dumb. Y'all be looking at me like, what's wrong with you, Bishop? You preached that last week. Be like, it's all right. It's the Holy Ghost, you know. (laughs) But ultimately, some of you, some of us that are in here, we feed our intellect. That's how we feed our soul. That's how we get satisfied. That's a wrong vision. Others of us, we feed our emotions. We feed our emotions. How do you feed your emotions? You know, there, there's something that's called, they're, they're, they're called endorphins. Y'all know what endorphins are? I wasn't sure because I knew Pastor Aldo would be checking me on some stuff. So I had to make sure that I was saying the right word, glory to God. So I looked it up, and, and, and you know, it's this something that happened. I'm not going to give you the full because I don't remember the whole definition. It was kind of long. I just remember the last part of the definition. But the whole thing is this, is that these endorphins are something that trigger inside of your brain and it releases these, you know, the, these, these good feelings, right? Right? These, these like almost narcotic feelings. That's, that's serious. That's what it is. They're opiates. That's what it is. That's the word that I was looking for, opiates. And so it triggers these opiate sensations in your brain. But you want to know what it does? Can I tell you this? This is what it does. It causes you to have a higher tolerance to pain. Did you hear what I said? So when those endorphins are working, those opiates are being, you know, ignited, you have a higher tolerance for pain. Why does that matter? Because you know what we'll do? We'll tell someone, hey, man, you got stress? Go punch a punching bag. Why? That's how you deal with your pain. (laughs) Or for me, go smack a racket. Go hit some racquetballs, glory to God. Just not with Pastor Robert because he's still beating me, praise the Lord Jesus. You might leave a little discouraged. But, but, any, but nonetheless, nonetheless, ultimately, what happens is some of us feed our emotions through those things, through sports activities, through exercise. You, you feel good about yourself. You, man, if you watch shows like The Biggest Loser and these different things that talk about working out, you know what these people talk about? They talk about how much energy they have. They talk about how good they feel. You know why? Because they're feeding their soul. Through what? They're connecting with their emotions through the exercises they're doing. And so they, be, they begin to feel great about life. They want to run and, you know, do marathons and do the, all of these different things. Why? Because something makes them feel great. But wait a second. Is that how we're supposed to be doing this? We feed our emotions through family activities. Can I say something? I want to balance this out. Working out, sports, exercise, family activities, 
None of those things are bad things. The issue is when you are feeding your soul primarily through them. The issue is when you are not on mission and you are not letting your soul be satisfied, when you won't miss a workout but forget about preaching the gospel. When you will not go play that sport that you enjoy so much or go to the gym like you like to, but you will not care about being part of what the church is supposed to be doing. That's where the issue comes in. When you don't care about those people that are in the gym that some of them are dying and going to hell and you don't even get a chance to get to know them just to see. Hello? And can I say something? I'm guilty as charged. Did you hear me? I'm guilty as charged. And so we find ways to feed our emotions. We find ways to, to, to substitute the real soul food that Christ offers us. Some of us, we feed our emotions through different things. We'll, we'll, we'll feed our emotions through community service. You saw, the, you saw the guy in the video there, what he was doing. He went ahead and he was helping a homeless person, right? So we go, and we don't ever share the gospel. We just help a homeless person, and we feel good in our soul because we did something good. But is that what's supposed to satisfy our soul? Or are we supposed to utilize the opportunity to help the homeless person to share the gospel? Because it makes no sense for me as a Christian to help somebody out and to leave them in a situation where they are still going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's horrible. I'll give you some wonderful examples. The first one I'll give you is Pastor Robert, myself, and I can't remember who else it was. But we were helping someone move, and when we were helping them move, they had to put stuff inside of their storage. And so we were at their storage, and we were doing that. And so I was at the storage, Pastor Robert and whoever else we were with, they were coming out. And they, when I was pulling out, I saw Pastor Robert's car, and I was like, what's Pastor Robert doing over here? And so when I looked, they were helping these guys move a pool table onto their truck because they couldn't do it with only two of them. And so anybody who's trying to move a pool table knows it probably takes more than two guys. It's a pretty tough situation. And so they were helping the guys out, helped them get this up on the truck. The beauty of it was at the end of it all, Pastor Robert's like, listen, man, I just want to talk to you for a moment. He called me over. And he just shared real briefly, five minutes. I don't remember every single word that he used. He gave him a card. And if I'm not mistaken, Pastor Robert had some kind of way to find out about them dudes, right? One of them, actually at that moment, they didn't bow their knees to Jesus. But later on, one of them started going to church. If no one would have ever taken five minutes to just say, look, we did this in the name of Jesus. We didn't do this in the name of just doing good for you. We didn't do this in the name of humanity because we're supposed to be humanitarians. Mm -hmm. We did this in the name of the Lord. Because if I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't have stopped to help you move nothing. If I didn't know Jesus, I would have driven right by you like it was just me all by myself. Like I didn't even see you. I would have ignored you. <laughs> Hello. That is what happens when you share the gospel. I'll give you another example. Missionaries that we support, David and Dielis. You know what they went over there to Honduras to do? They went over there to start schools, right? That's what they went to do, start school in an orphanage. That's what they went to do. You know what they have now? They have how many churches? Two, right? Two churches. You want to know why? Because they couldn't help but sharing Jesus in all of their doing good. When they went over there, their goal wasn't, wasn't he's telling, when I, when, I, when I speak to David, who y'all need to pray for him because he got a messed up ankle, got really hurt really bad in a car accident, and so he's going to have surgery, he's actually here, but ultimately, whenever I'm talking to him, he tells me stuff like, man, we need to get some young people over here, that way they can take this mission over. 
Because they weren't planning on doing that. But God had another plan. The point of the matter is, they could have gone ahead and they could have stayed in their box. We're just going to do an orphanage. We'll pray for these kids, but we're not going to share the gospel. They couldn't do it. They went out there, shared the gospel, have two churches. God is doing amazing things. And I thank God that we can be part of that. Amen? Amen. And so ultimately, what needs to happen in our hearts is we need to recognize, how am I feeling my emotions? Another way, and I'll give you this last one, the way that we feed our emotions is by something called comfort food. Mm-hmm. Y'all are like, I need some comfort right now. Glory to God. There's a reason they call it comfort food, because it does something to you emotionally. It doesn't just put you in a comatose state. It does that as well. But it feeds you emotionally. It does something to your emotions. You can be depressed. Go have some comfort food. Don't turn to Jesus for prayer. Just go have whatever your comfort food is. And you know what? There are certain things you may call comfort food, but, you know, different people have different comfort foods. Some people like chocolate cake. Some people like cheesecake. Hello. Some people like, you know, Rocky Road ice cream. Some people, you like different stuff. I know y'all getting hungry. Glory to God. If you're fasting, just rebuke the devil. Amen. Praise Jesus. And so ultimately, we feed our emotions to these other things. And then there's the other part. So we fed our mind. We feed our emotions. But then there's also us feeding our will. And how is it that we feed our will? The way that we feed our will is that we simply do what we want to do, whether it is sinful or not. We feed our will by saying, this is what I feel. This is what I want. This is how I want to do it. Regardless of what the scriptures say, regardless of what counsel has communicated to me, regardless of all of these things, I'm going to do it my way. And so you know what happens? That's the reason why we have that whole mentality in our day. If it feels good, it can't be wrong. If it feels good, it must be right. So even though the Bible tells me that I shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage, it feels good. Mm-hmm. So it feels good, so you keep doing it. You keep dishonoring Jesus. You keep dishonoring his word. The Bible says that I shouldn't do certain things, and so I still do them. And what am I doing? I'm feeding my will. Scripture shows us that we should not be like this. That's the incorrect vision. But then there is the other vision, which is the indifferent vision. And the indifferent vision is one that just doesn't care about anybody else. It only cares about me. And it ties in with the whole will and emotions and mind, but it's an indifferent vision. You met Jesus. You know him. And you know what? You love you some worship. You have your favorite song, and you pray every week that we do it. I just hope they do this song this week, glory to God, because I just feel the Holy Ghost every time they do it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, it's been like three months, and they haven't done that song. Maybe the Holy Spirit is not leading us there because of you. Maybe he's saying, stop trying to feel so good and go out and make someone else feel good. Stop trying to feel so warm on the inside and transformed all over. Because what happens is when you have that kind of vision, what happens is you go and you feed yourself by experiences with God that amount to us feeling good and doing nothing else as Christians other than coming into the church as consumers. That's what we do. That is what we do. 
You want to feel good. And let me tell you something. Consumers pay the best. Y'all didn't hear that. Oh, consumers tithe. Absolutely. They want to make sure that that building is there next week for them to come back and worship. Can I tell you something else about consumers? Consumers in the natural world, they're usually the ones that are the deepest in debt. What does that tell us about Christianity? How much debt are you just building up for the kingdom? What do you mean, Bishop? How much time do you spend walking by lost people, never sharing the gospel with them? You didn't read the book of Ezekiel that says if a person is doing wrong and you share with them, then that blood is off of your hands. But if a person is doing wrong and you don't share with them, that blood is on your hands. That sounds like debt to me. So when I'm doing nothing to be engaged in mission, when I'm doing nothing to be engaged in what God has called me to do as a preacher and carrier of the glorious gospel, then I am what? Causing myself to be in debt. The second thing we'll read together is verse 35. He says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Say this with me. Jesus showed the disciples. Where to get real soul food. He goes and he uses this illustration of the harvest. And he tells them something that they would be familiar with. He said, don't you say it's still four months till the harvest? In other words, it's four months until you're going to be able to get the food. Remember, they were trying to get him to eat. And so what he is doing is he is trying to use a natural illustration to bring them into a spiritual revelation. He's trying to show them something in the natural and say, you say this, but I tell you, lift up your eyes. One of the commentators that I was looking at at that particular moment, he said, at that moment, the people from Samaria were on the road walking toward Jesus where he was and when he was telling his disciples lift up your eyes and look at the harvest he was saying what he said was the white of their clothes was reflecting with the sun and all of that stuff and causing the harvest to look ready to give them an understanding that these people that are coming the harvest on the natural isn't ripe but they are those people that are coming as a result of this woman going in there and simply sharing, you think the conversation with Jesus was short? Her conversation with those people was shorter. She went in there and simply told him, this man told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And they were like, well, we need to go check this out for ourselves. And so they get up and they go out there and they begin to hear the gospel from Jesus. But the point is that Jesus is trying to get them to come into a spiritual understanding. And what I want to say to you is that it is not until you and I start to see the world from a divine perspective that we begin to live in the experience, live in and experience the abundant and eternal life that God offers. It is not until we begin to see this world from a divine perspective that we can experience the abundant life. How many of y'all want abundant life? When you think of abundant life, you know what? You think about many times we start thinking about abundant life when I think about having this car, this house, having all of these different comforts and commodities and all of this other stuff around me. But is that what Jesus meant by abundant life? Because there are some liars out there who will be up on pulpits and will be communicating that to you and make you think that if you're not driving that car, you're not experiencing abundant life. If your bank account is not overflowing, you're not experiencing abundant life. If you don't have those clothes, you're not experiencing abundant life. I want you to know that they are liars. And unless they repent, they will be the ones who God says those were wolves in sheep's clothing. 
because they are being deceitful. When he's speaking of abundant life, he's speaking about us experiencing the eternal life that flows from heaven in this life that we live now. And what is eternal life? What is it? When you think about it, what is eternal life? Does it start when you die? Is that when eternal life begins? We're going to go to this scripture in a little bit. But John chapter 17 and verse 3 gives us the definition of eternal life. When Jesus is praying with his disciples, he's, or he's praying for his disciples, he says this very clearly. He says that they would have eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, as the one and true God, and me, Jesus Christ, your son. That's what the scripture says eternal life is. It is to know God. Not to know about God. To know God. If you do not know, not this knowledge is intimate knowledge. It is knowing him for real. It is not just knowing about him. It is not knowing a couple of scriptures. It is knowing him. I want you to know something. You and I can know him intimately. And if we don't know him intimately, you know what we'll do? I'm going to tell you what we'll do. See all the other things I just said about the way we feed our mind, the way we feed our will, the way we feed our emotions. When we don't know God, that's when we prioritize those things over time with him. But when we know him, we prioritize being with him over anything else. We don't care what we miss as long as we don't miss him. And I am not just talking about coming to church. I'm talking about in our personal life. For those of you that were here in the beginning, and I encourage you, get here early, glory to God. I know y'all don't want to say amen to that. But for those of you that were here in the beginning, praise the Lord Jesus. You saw this video that we played in Welcome to Church. And one of the things that, 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 that came up there, it said very clearly, we want to be known not by what we do on Sundays, but what we do every day. What we do seven days a week. We don't want to be known simply by Sundays. Oh, they have great service. You need to go there on Sunday. No, we need to live out the gospel in our lives. That's what God is calling us to do. And so we will fill ourselves with other things. The disciples needed to lift up their eyes. So do we. Let me say that again. The disciples needed to lift up their eyes. So do we. Because some of us are so caught up in the natural that we're not even concerned about the supernatural. Some of us are caught up in the natural. We are not worried or concerned or involved or engaged with God in supernatural activity. We are not doing what God has called us to do. And the reason is not because we don't know better. Pastor Robert was praying on Friday night, and he was saying, as he, as he was praying, he was saying, we hear messages week after week, and yet we still fall into the same holes. We fall into the same things as though we never heard it. You know why? Because we need to lift up our eyes. We need to begin to get a kingdom focus on what it is that God Almighty is doing. It's time that we begin to see the will of the Father and start harvesting the fruit of the kingdom. Say it with me, one at a time. No, say it with me, one at a time. See, here's the thing that I, want, that, that I want to do. I told you last week I gave you one thing that was very important, and it was that you become gospelized. Y'all remember that? Of course you do. Hallelujah. That you become gospelized. That you become a person that is absolutely 100% overwhelmed with the gospel in this year. But I want to give you one more goal to begin your 2012. And it is this. It is that you will make it a point to reach one person. Did you hear what I just said? 
one person for Jesus. I didn't say talk to one person about Jesus. I said win one person to Jesus, and I'm going to add something else to this, and then disciple that person. Y'all just got scared right now. You were really scared. Now you just went to be terrorized. Okay, Bishop, I might, be able to, I might be able to talk to someone about Jesus. I might be able to win them to you. You were getting, like, scared and more scared. And now you're, ter- now disciple, Bishop, that's your job. No. That is the job of a disciple. But, Bishop, I don't know the word. Exactly. That's a good motivator. You're going to be responsible for someone else. What you've got to understand is that we have been called to do what? To equip the saints. Say, I am a saint. And so we have been called as leaders to equip the saints for the work of what? Worship and praise, listening to the preaching? Is that what you're supposed to be equipped for? To come to church? No, for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Say it with me. Making disciples. That is the work of the ministry. Making disciples. And so here's the point. This this is the point, church. The reason why I'm sharing this is because I want you to look around. And I don't want you to be depressed, okay? And I'm not trying to point this out to you so you get depressed. But just look around for a moment, okay? Look around. You're going to notice there's, I would say, how many people are in here, Angel? You didn't count yet? Okay. Did somebody else count? Nobody counted. All right. Well, anyway. How many? 54 people in here. You know how many chairs we have in the sanctuary? Does anybody know? 135 chairs. So that tells me that if we would become responsible, say responsible, responsible. with our responsibility, next week, say next week, we could have 104 people. How many did you say? 54. I'm sorry, my bad. I was, I was getting crazy there. Because I knew like a few of you wouldn't do it. That's why I said that, glory to See y'all. <laughs> glory to God. Lord, I repent. That was a lie. I just, I just forgot the number. Glory to God. But the Lord knew. Amen. Hallelujah. And so ultimately, here's the point. The point is that if all of us did our job, I mean, you, you, you think church growth. First of all, I need you to understand this. Church growth is the will of God. Say that with me. Church growth is the will of God. And, and what, I'm, not, I'm not concerned. Obviously, I'm not concerned with numbers. Hello. This is where we're going to go on in August and be like 10 years. So I'm not concerned with numbers. What I am concerned with is your maturity. And can I tell you something? You will not mature in Christ until you start making disciples. Can I say this? You have been made disciples for long enough. It is time for you to start making disciples. Three amens. Hallelujah. So that means that we will have six more people here next week. Praise the Lord. All right, glory to God. We got that. Hallelujah. We're going to grow three people a week. Praise the name of Jesus. Bishop, what do you mean three people a week? They were just responsible to win one. Exactly. At all times. So when you win one, guess what you do? You still have a goal to win one. It is always the goal to win one. You never check it off like I've won one and then I'm good for the rest of the year. No. I won one so I did my quarterly duty. No. You win one. You win another. You win. This is the life of a disciple. This is what a disciple is supposed to do. This should be our goal, is that I will always have before me the desire and the will and the heart to win one. 
And listen, when I say win one, I want to be specific. You can preach the gospel to as many people as you want. And, and if you can disciple them, and let's say it's a long-distance discipleship for some reason, that's okay. But I want to make this real specific. I don't want you to just win one that's going to go to some other church. I want you to win one and bring them to sit next to you every week. Let's make it real specific. Because you want the, the body to grow? Absolutely. But I've heard some crazy stuff. And, here's, and I'm not going to get into the craziness that I've heard. The point that I'm trying to make is this. We need to get missional and intentional. And we need to understand, I said this when we started, when we moved into this new building, God is giving us a great opportunity. Beautiful building, amen? amen. Wonderful place. Thank God for all of his provision that he made for us to be here. But you know what? Each and every person, some of you, you won someone to the Lord like six years ago. And you look at them and you're real proud. Praise the Lord. They're still persevering in the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's awesome. That is an amazing accomplishment. Six years ago. What happened to the rest of those six years of your life with Jesus? I know that's tough, right? That's like painful. Like, oh my goodness, Bishop, you're like getting honest. No, I'm not. That was wonderful. You know what that shows? If you did it six years ago, you can do it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you did it once, you can do it again. You know what I want you to do? If you were that person that won them six years ago, three years ago, one, one year ago, whatever it was, I want you to think about the joy it was in your heart when you saw them start coming to church, when you saw them start worshiping Jesus. If they're serving in ministry, when you saw them start serving in ministry. Think about the joy that came there and let, because that joy is the soul food that the Bible is talking about. That joy is where he says here, those that reap are receiving wages and they're gathering in fruit for, the, for, for, for eternal life. That joy is what he's talking about, receiving those wages that are occurring. This woman that went away from Jesus and spoke, she was receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. She became one that was harvesting. Can I say something? You know what our biggest issue is, I think? We have a whole bunch of folks that are fruit inspectors, but not enough fruit harvesters. We have a whole bunch of folk that just look at everyone and say, well, you're not good enough. You ain't making the mark. You're a little rotten. You have issues. We look at all of those other folks out there. I don't even know if they can come to Jesus. We need harvesters. People that let God do all the separating, and we just go reach them. <laughs> Glory to God. Doesn't mean, well, Bishop, are you saying stop inspecting fruit? No. What I'm saying is inspect the most important fruit, your life. I'm going to say it because y'all didn't hear it, but Sister Michelle Bennett said, get the worms out. Glory to God. <laughs> Inspect the most important fruit of your life. Because you know what will happen when you start inspecting the fruit of your life? You will stop being so harsh with other people. I can only tell you this from my own experience. I can only tell you this from my own experience. Because when I started to really realize my own unrighteousness, when I started to really realize how unholy I was, even though I thought I was so holy, because I'm coming into God's presence, feeling such glory, seeing people be ministered through me, and I'm like, man, I must be walking on clouds. Mm-hmm, come here, son. Let's have a conversation in those clouds. So I can walk you right back down to earth, and we can move on in the mission. See, when we start having those, does it mean we stop preaching? I, do you hear how hard I'm preaching today? I'm preaching pretty hard, I would think. This is pretty hard. So does that mean that we stop preaching the gospel? No. 
It means that we treat people with love. We treat people with care. We treat people with compassion. We treat people. And you know what? There's sometimes we got to treat people roughly. There are some moments that you just need to be like, yo, man, you need to repent of your sin. You need to stop making excuses for yourself. You need to stop serving your own appetites. You need to stop thinking the way that you think. You need to come and let the gospel change you. There are some moments that we need to do that. But I can guarantee you there are fewer moments that we need to do that if we would love and be compassionate and work with people and care for people. And if we would make disciples. The third thing we'll repeat together after we read this scripture, read verse 37 with me. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you, say I sent you. This is Jesus speaking. To reap that for which you have not labored. That word labor is like in pain, intense, like dying. Others have labored, again, same word. And you have entered into their labor, same word. And so Jesus is saying that he is sending his disciples to reap where they have not sown, to reap where they have not labored. Say this with me. Jesus made real soul food available to all his disciples, say throughout generations. Jesus has shown us he sends his disciples to gather in what he's already prepared. That's what he's saying. In the natural scenario, I want you to think about this. The one who sows would potentially work much harder than the one who reaps. Now, what I want you to understand is that the one who reaps, they're going to work hard. Think about anybody who you can imagine or who comes to mind that you would think of someone who's out there harvesting, right? They're working hard. They're getting up early. They're spending long days in the field. They're doing stuff. It's it's laborious. It's taxing. Yep, all of that stuff. Very true. But here's the thing. I want you to think about the one that was sowing that field. You know what the one that sowed that field had to do? He had to break up that field. He had to to do something in order to prepare that field for what? For the seed that was going to be sown. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that he has already labored in order to prepare the harvest. God created us to find ultimate satisfaction in doing his will, meeting with him. That is his will, that we meet with him and that we bring others to meet him. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that you shouldn't seek God, you shouldn't desire to experience his presence. That's not what I'm saying. You should want his presence, but you should allow your meetings with God to transform you, and that way you want to go out and share him. No meeting with Jesus. Understand this. No meeting that I have with Jesus should not move me to want to share him with others no meeting that I have with him there's an issue if I'm the type of person that says man I met with Jesus and that was good enough for me I feel satisfied for the week there was an issue with that and if that's your heart please I beg you repent turn away from that oh but bishop you're telling me that I need to repent about wanting to be in God's presence no I'm telling you to repent for being self-centered and selfish I'm telling you to repent for thinking about only yourself and only the way you feel and only wanting God's presence so you can feel good rather than so you can be empowered. When you read the scriptures, God gives his power for what? To witness. Not just so you can feel good. The hardest job, Jesus already accomplished. The Holy Spirit is continuing the work. The question is, are we willing to be co-laborers with the Lord of the harvest? That's the question. Jesus did the hardest job. 
He's the one that hung on the cross. He's the one that left the glory in heaven to come down and to put on flesh, live a perfect life, be rejected, be beaten, and then ultimately hung on a cross for our sin, for the sins of every person, because men love sin. Jesus died in their place. He goes, ascends to heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit that the scripture says is to do what? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, convicts the world. The world is who? Those who don't know Jesus. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That is what Jesus does. He is the one that's doing that. He does it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings change. We simply have to unify with him. And listen, let me say this. Preaching the gospel is not easy. Did you hear what I just said? If it was easy, this church, we'd be doing three services up in here. If it was easy work... We would see lives being changed every day. But can I tell you something? This is the reason why it becomes so important that you begin to cry out to God for his supernatural power. That you begin to cry out to God for the fullness of his manifested presence. That you begin to cry out to God for him to work through you and that he would not be, that you would not be working in spite of him. That you would be working in conjunction with him. That God would not be not moving because he's waiting on you to separate yourself. Waiting on us to, to, to totally come to him. You wonder why we're doing this fast for these 29 days. I'm going to tell you why the number 29. I was going to send this in an email tomorrow, but I'll tell you today. It's because, you know, the book of Acts is like 28 chapters, right? So when I was praying, I felt, I felt it in my heart like, God, I know you want me to fast. I know you want us as a church to fast. I know you want a, you know, elongated time of fasting and consecration. And I just felt really inspired at that moment. Like, you know what, 29, I always say this, that we are the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. That we are that 29th chapter. Therefore, for all until Jesus comes, the 29th chapter of the book of Acts will continue to be written throughout generation to generation. And can I tell you something? The Bible says that all scripture is inspired of God. So what that means to me, if I am going to be a living epistle, if you are going to be a living epistle, that means that we need the inspiration. We need the breath. We need the power of God manifesting in our lives in order for scripture to continue to be written through our lives not us making up scripture hello i want you to know i'm not telling you we're going to go and write bibles that we're not going to add to the scriptures and have our own no that is not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that we will be living epistles that we will live out the gospel and that the power of god will be manifested through us that's the reason church because we need the power of god we need a vision for mission. The greatest hindrance to our vision for mission is our focus. The book of Ecclesiastes says that the one who studies the wind won't sow. The one who studies the clouds won't reap. What's that saying is that the person who is always looking at natural things will not do what they need to do. The person, and this speaking in the natural as well as in the spiritual, but to apply it spiritually because they look at the winds and they say, man, it's real windy. So if I throw my seed like this and it's windy, what's going to happen to my seed? It's going to blow away. So I can't sow because it's windy. If it's cloudy, I can't go out there and start reaping. It's going to start raining on me. It's going to ruin the harvest. I'm not going to be able to get the job done. 
us as Christians, you know what happens to us? We look at all of the things that are going on in the natural. We look at all of the obstacles, whether it's in our workplace. We look at all of the obstacles. How about asking God to show you how to get around the obstacles? How about asking God to, and then listen, here's the thing. I I want you to get this. God is so good. He does this to me all the time. I ask him a question, and without me even realizing it, he'll just speak to me. And I'll be like, whoa, he gave me the answer. And you know what the problem is? Many times, we don't obey what he's saying. We're like, oh, that was good. And yes, amen, God. And then, you know, we look at some other wind. Well, I can't do that. Did he tell you to do that? Did he communicate that to you? That is the only way that we will be able to get the right vision. And so I'm going to take you through 41 scriptures. Say 41 scriptures. We are going to turn them together. Glory to God. We're going to go through the book of John in its entirety. How you like that for Sunday service? Amen. 41. We're going to go through 41 references in scripture. Because here is the thing. We need to see and believe that we have been called on mission like Jesus. If there is one thing that the book of John communicates to us clearly is that Jesus was sent by the Father. But it also communicates clearly that just as he was sent, so are we. You ready? Let's look at John chapter 3 and verse 17. You're already there. I made it real easy. We're just going to walk right through. Just boom, 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 boom. Glory to God. We'll get through these 41 verses in like... Two hours, hallelujah. I'm not going to comment on all of them, so we're going to be all right. We're going to go through them, amen? I may comment on them. I can't say that. It just depends on what I feel when I'm reading it. But anyway, verse 17, y'all there? He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God did not send, that's the word, send. He sent his son. That's what God, God sent his son as savior. Go to 334. For whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. And so he was sent to do what? To speak the words of God the father. To speak words that God has given him to speak. Look at chapter 4 and verse 34. Chapter 4 and verse 34 says... Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, to complete his work, to seek and to save that which was lost. John chapter 5 and verse 23, it says that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He, He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so just like the Father is to be honored, we're supposed to honor the Son and all of our worship and all of our giving praise. um, John chapter 5 and verse 30, it says, I can of myself do nothing. That's our problem is that we want to do stuff on our own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Look at 536. But I have a great witness, but I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Verse 38, it goes on, it says, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 29. 
Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. How many of y'all want to do works of God? Now I said, how many of y'all want to do works of God? He gives us the exact key as to what we have to do to do works of God, that you believe him whom he sent. Because here's the thing. When you believe in him who was sent, you'll follow. You'll follow for a different reason, not because you have to, but because you get to. John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, For I have not come down from heaven to do, not to do, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 657. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Again, the Father sends him to feed us, to give us life. John chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. John chapter 7, verse 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Again, Jesus seeking the glory of the Father, not his own glory. Chapter 7 and verse 28, he says, Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Verse 29 says, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Chapter 7 and verse 33, he says, then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. Go to John chapter 8 and verse 16. It says, and yet I do not judge. My judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. John chapter 8 and verse 18 it says for I am one who bears witness of I am one who bears witness of myself and the father who sent me bears witness of me and John chapter 8 and verse 29 he, he says and he who sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for I always do the things that please the father chapter 8 and verse 42 He says, Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Chapter 9 and verse 4. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. John chapter 10 and verse 36. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? Chapter 11 and verse 42. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. John chapter 12 and verse 44. And verse 45 as well. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, 
believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Chapter 12 and verse 49. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say and what I should speak. John chapter 13 and verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. John chapter 14 and verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. John chapter 15 and verse 21 says, but all things... But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. John chapter 16 and verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? John chapter 17 and verse 3, which we spoke about earlier. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John chapter 17 and verse 8, he says, For I have given them the words which you gave, which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is Jesus praying to the Father for his disciples, for us, before he goes to the cross. Verse 18, chapter 17 and verse 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So he sent and he sends. John chapter 17 and verse 21, That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. John chapter 17 and verse 23 I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. John chapter 17 and verse 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And the last verse is John chapter 20 and verse 21, one of Jesus' last conversations with his disciples. And he says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father sent me, I send you. You believe Jesus was sent? If you believe Jesus was sent, then you need to believe you were sent too. If you believe that Jesus was sent the way that the book of John emphatically declares 41 times, the book of John clearly says, Jesus was sent of the Father. Jesus was sent to do the Father's will. Jesus was sent to preach the kingdom. Jesus was sent to obey the commands. That means that you were sent to preach the kingdom. You were sent to obey the commands. You were sent to find satisfaction in fulfilling the will of God. You were sent in order to do all of these same things that Jesus was sent except for one, and that is to save because you're not Savior. Jesus is. But the scriptures are clear that we, you and I, are supposed to be on mission. And what we have to do is we have to get our eyes out of this natural realm and we have to see what God is speaking to our hearts. And so I'm going to ask everyone to stand to their feet and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. 
And I'm going to make a specific calling because as we spoke today and I, and I gave you a specific mandate, specifically a challenge to be a person who says, yes, God, in this year, I will enter into and be 100% on mission with you. And I will begin with one person. And I will continue at all times with one person. Listen, I already said this. This is hard. Reaping is not an easy job. Grabbing one apple out of a tree, not too hard. But going ahead and reaping a whole harvest of apples, totally different work. And so the point of the matter is, even to get that one apple from the tree, that means that we have to do what? That means we have to do some kind of work. It is God who ultimately brings salvation. It is God who is the one. There is one that sows. There is one that waters. But God is the one who gives the growth. As I said before, Jesus already did the hardest part of the job. And he sent his spirit to continue. You read in the book of Acts and you find Peter when he says about him being witnesses. He said this very clearly. He said, we are witnesses of what we have seen and heard. And he says, and so is the Holy Spirit. And so what he is saying is that the Holy Spirit is working, is in operation with the people of God. The Holy Spirit is working with us. And so my question is this. Will you commit? Will you commit to getting a vision for mission and saying, God, I will be used of you to start making disciples, starting with one. If that's you in this place, I ask you to come to this altar right now. If you say, yes, God, I will start with one. If you say, yes, God, I will be one who, who has a vision for mission. I know it's going to be challenging. I know it's going to be difficult. But I say, yes, God, I've heard you speak to me today, and I will respond to you. Praise the name of Jesus. And I'm going to pray a general prayer for us. And then I'm going to ask you really to just be before the Lord on this altar as we worship him, as we lift worship to him. Worship is about a sacrifice. Worship is about laying my life down. Worship is about me demonstrating the life of Christ. And so on this altar, as I pray, I want you to really humble your heart. And as we begin to sing and worship, as we begin to lift up the name of the Lord, I want you to really let God begin to strip away from you those excuses. I want to really ask you to let God begin to strip away all of those things that have hindered you from being on mission. Father, today, God, I come before you on behalf of my brothers and my sisters, Lord God, in this place. And Lord God, I ask you for them, dear Lord, that your presence and that your power, Lord God, would manifest greatly upon them, dear Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would stretch your mighty hand forward, not only upon them, but upon me as well, dear God. Because I am the first one to respond to this altar call because it is not about me, Heavenly Father, but it is wholly and totally about you, my God. And Father, I know that if I am honest with myself, I have not always been on mission, God. 
If I am honest with myself, I have missed many opportunities, dear Lord. If I am honest with myself, I have cowered in the face of opposition, Lord God. And Father, I know that my brothers and sisters in here, they feel condemned, they feel overwhelmed, Lord God, because they haven't done more for your kingdom. And I pray that you would liberate their hearts from feeling like they need to do more. And Lord God, that they would submit to you and allow you to work and live and love and deliver through them, my God. Father God, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would come upon them right now, my God. I pray that you would baptize, Lord God, in the Holy Spirit today. I pray that you would equip believers, my God, to do great and mighty works, Father. Lord God, that you see our hearts. And I pray, Lord God, even as the church prayed, that you, Lord God, would allow your gospel to be preached powerfully, my Lord, with signs and wonders, my Lord. God, that you would stretch your hand forward to heal the sick my God that you would stretch your hand forward my God to create miracles in this earth that would cause man to bow before the almighty God Father sometimes we feel like we don't have the time God there is always time to share the gospel and Lord if we don't have the time then we need to rearrange our schedule because our schedules need to revolve around you, not other things, God. But we need to make it a priority in our lives, Lord God, to be gospel witnesses. And Father God, I thank you for every heart this morning that has responded, Lord God. Not, not, not only the hearts on this altar, but Father God, even the hearts that are in the seats right now, God. Heavenly Father, that are fearful, that may be trembling. Father God, I just pray that you would help each of us that are in this place, my God to respond to you in faith, dear Lord. God, you see our hearts today. You see our hearts today. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would fill our lives. God, we lay our lives at this altar. We lay our lives before you. God, we want to be used by you.
Lord, in the name of Jesus. Yes, God. Come on, grab your neighbor's hand on this altar and let's begin to pray together. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we understand that your will costs. We understand, Lord God, that serving you is not free. Salvation is, but Lord God, everything else costs. There is a price, Lord God. And so today, we have said yes to you, God. We have said yes to you, Almighty One. We have said yes to you, Lord God, in this place. Lord God, we want to be used by you. God, we want to serve you obediently. God, we want to serve you faithfully, God. Father, we want our lives to matter in our days, Father God. Lord, as gospel witnesses, as those who have served you faithfully, Lord God, as those who have been empowered by your Spirit to be witnesses for you, God. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you saturate everyone on this altar, God, in the power of the Holy Spirit afresh. Lord God, that your Spirit would rain down upon every heart, God. That you would remove every now in their spirit. That you would remove every now in their heart. That you would remove every doubt in their mind. But God, that yes would rise up. That yes would be, a, would be the voice that they listen to. That yes, God. God, we've said no too many times. We've said way 